This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. Brendan O'Neill is tonight's outsider. And last night at a comedy show in Los Angeles, Dave Chappelle was joking about being hounded by the cancel culture brigade when this happened. Make some noise for hip hop history. Make some noise for hip hop history. Twenty-three-year-old Zaya Lee has now been charged with assault with a deadly weapon after he gate-crashed the stage armed with a replica gun that could eject a knife. And thank God, Chappelle came away unharmed. The comedian has been at the centre of controversy after the woke mob took issue with his jokes about gender. And after the altercation, another victim of assault, Chris Rock, joined Chappelle on stage. And they were both able to see the funny side. Was that Will Smith? <laughs> oh, that is a good line. But joking aside, uh, those Hollywood elites did precisely nothing when Will Smith assaulted Rock at the Oscars. So it's hardly surprising, is it, that some lunatic has followed suit in an act of woke violence. Brendan O'Neill here now. And Brendan, you're understandably concerned by this. I'm very concerned by this. I think, you know, it's still not clear why this guy did it. We don't know if he had a motive or what his justification might be. So we have to wait and see what he says or what comes out about this guy. But we know the backdrop that it's taking place against. And the backdrop it's taking place against is one in which Dave Chappelle has been brutally demonized simply for making jokes about identity politics, about the excesses of transgender politics, and really making fun of the left and the woke left and the culture wars and so on. And for doing that, he has been threatened with cancellation and called a bigot. And people have said his words are hurtful, his words are violent. So it's against that backdrop of demonization that this rushing of the stage took place. And that's why it worries me. It looks like it might be the armed wing of cancel culture culture where people are now possibly going to use violence to try and silence people they don't like. I'm really worried about that too, Brendan, because it does feel like if it's violence on the left, it will be accepted. I mean, we saw that throughout the BLM protests. We saw that with Will Smith on stage at the Oscars. It's happening increasingly. Yeah, and, the th and I think the, the Will Smith thing is another important thing to talk about because the response to the Will Smith incident was alarming. I mean, I, I know eventually he was uh, banned from the Oscars for 10 years, but there was a lot of apologetics for what he did. A lot of people were saying, well, you know, don't judge him too harshly, especially if you're a white person, you have no right to criticize. And he shouldn't, uh, Chris Rock should not have criticized uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's alopecia and all these kinds of uh, apologies 
apologies for his violence were essentially made by lots of Will Smith supporters and lots of woke activists. So when you send that message that in some instances it is acceptable to assault someone who offends you, then we can't really be surprised if other people take that message on board and attack people who have offended them. So I'm very worried that the, the woke intolerance that we've all become familiar with over the past few years might now be entering a violent stage, and that should concern everyone who believes in freedom. No, it absolutely does. It also concerns me, Brendan, by the way, that the reason that Chappelle, Dave Chappelle, is in the crosshairs at all uh, of the woke mob is because he believes in science. He, he <laughs> talks about a biological reality. I mean, we really have to break that down right, because all Chappelle does is sort of poke at lots of different areas of society. But when it comes to the trans debate, he's effectively saying, I, I believe in biological sex. Absolutely right. His great speech crime, as you say, is that he believes in biology. He believes there are men and women and that one cannot become the other. And, and in one of his recent uh, Netflix specials, he, he defended J.K. Rowling and he described himself as team turf. In other words, he agrees with those feminists who think that there are men and there are women and there are biological differences between them. And, and for doing that, there have been protests outside Netflix headquarters. People have accused him of being a bigot and a transphobe. And now we have this violent assault, which may or may not be related. So simply for standing up for biological science, for truth, for reality, you can now be demonized and harassed and treated in the way that J.K. Rowling has been and the way that Dave Chappelle has been. This is a species of hysteria where people are being threatened and demonized simply for standing up for things that deep down we all know to be true, which is that there is such a thing as biological reality. And what's so terrifying about last night, Brendan, is obviously went off cyberspace and into the real world. But if you look at what someone like J.K. Rowling has to put up with on a daily basis. I mean, you're literally talking about hundreds upon thousands of death threats. The other day, there was a piece of work published that actually fantasized about her death. And I just think the left really have to take a good, hard look at themselves because it's them that is creating this violent culture. Absolutely. And uh, J.K. Rowling is a good example of just how far the cancel culture mentality has gone, where she is, as, as you say, she is subjected to rape threats and death threats and vile abuse every single day. And if you look at someone like Alison Bailey, the, the heroic black lesbian activist and, and barrister who is suing Stonewall over its stringent workplace policies on, on what you can say about sex and gender. People have been demonizing her. Someone fantasized about her death as well on Twitter recently. So there is this very menacing culture around the politics of transgenderism in particular, but the politics of wokeness more broadly. And it wouldn't be surprising if that menacing culture actually became something a bit more violent. So I think we have to get a handle on this. We have to stand up for people's freedom to think and freedom to speak as they see fit. And we have to defend people like Dave Chappelle, who is simply making a joke about various things in society. Uh, on a lighter note, Brendan, just to finish with, could, could you believe that, that Chris Rock was there and he was able to come up with that witty one-liner uh, within seconds? I know it's a really serious story, but that was quite a moment, wasn't it? 
Oh, just absolutely brilliant. And Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle are consummate comedians. I mean, they are absolute pros. They've both handled uh, assaults incredibly well. <laughs> They've taken it in their stride and they're carrying on doing what they ought to be doing, which is freely expressing their comedic sense of uh, uh, point of view. And they sh as long as they carry on that, I think we'll all be in their corner. Brendan O'Neill, thank you so much. But it's time now for Uncancelled. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. And with Labour spending five months telling us the country's most important issue was Boris eating birthday cake in Downing Street, it's less than ironic that Cormac Hare and co are now running for the hills over their own bear and curry booze-up. In fact, Labour Deputy Leader Angela Rayner was literally running away from my producer, Ben Leo, earlier today. Angela, hello. Sorry to bother you. Ben from GB News. Can you just clarify whether that Commons conversation happened? Did it happen or are you deny it? And Partygate as well, Beergate. Did you have curries? And if so, why did it take you so long to admit you were there, Angela? Angela Rayner there, not keen on answering questions about whether that Commons conversation happened or indeed Beergate in Durham. So Rod Little, after speaking for five months about Boris Johnson having to resign over Partygate, Labour have changed their tune this week. But do you think this issue has hit home with voters ahead of the election tomorrow? Well, just for you, Dan, exclusively for you and for GB News, uh, I commissioned an opinion poll from the very, very good company Find Out Now earlier today, uh, and I have the results. Um, uh, usual caveats, in fact, more than the usual caveats, is it's raw data, it's not weighted, uh, <clears throat> it's not a representative sample, it's people who they ring up. Uh, around 4,000, almost 5,000 people, it's still going on, and of people who were considering voting Labour, that means Labour supporters and floating voters and so on, people who were considering voting Labour tomorrow, round about 12% say that their vote may be affected by uh, Beergate and uh, Growlergate, uh, possibly, uh, and all the other gates, which, which the Labour Party has uh, very kindly bestowed upon us recently. So it's about 12%. Uh, 33% said it wouldn't bother them one way or the other and couldn't give a monkeys. And uh, uh, another 30 odd percent said that they would never consider voting Labour anyway. So it is hitting home. <coughs> Whether it's quite as bad as the FT has it tomorrow morning, which is, I think the FT headline is that Labour is running scared that voters uh, are running away from them over, uh, uh, over Beergate particularly. So it's hit home. It hasn't hit home. Uh, anywhere like it did for Boris Johnson back in January uh, and indeed into early February, and even a little bit more now. Uh, back then, Labour went 11 points ahead in the polls in the Red Wall areas. They're still 7 to 8% ahead in the polls in the Red Wall areas and uh, increasing their lead in London. So those are two areas where they're very, very, very vulnerable indeed. And, you know, people are talking about the Labour Party winning. 16 councils. My guess is that the, the catastrophe for the Conservatives 
won't be quite on, on, on that scale. I'm trying to do my John Curtis impression here, by the way. I hope you're impressed. Uh, <laughs> I'm very I, I, impressed. I'm very <laughs> impressed, Rod. That was, that was brilliant work. And look, 12% uh, still is significant. It, you know, potentially means they'll lose one in 10 of, of their voters tomorrow. And of course, uh, it is difficult climate for Labour because of when the last local elections were. Rod, I think uh, one thing that would have increased that number uh, was if the mainstream media, so, you know, the BBC, Sky News, ITV News, had treated the Beargate scandal in the same way they treated the number 10 Partygate scandal. Because, you know, for me, I'm actually not bothered by either of them. I think the rules were an ass. But what I am bothered by is the complete lack of consistency over the way Boris Johnson was treated compared to how Starmer's been treated. I don't think there's a slightest doubt about that. I mean, I have to say, I think, I, I think Partygate is more serious uh, because it involved consecutive acts of deception and consecutive flouting of the rules. So I think it was of a greater magnitude than uh, Keir and his beers. Um, but that being said, you're absolutely right, and it's very predictable. While the Daily Mail was leading on it for seven nights, uh, seven mornings out of seven uh, last week, I think it was, uh, the BBC, BBC News scarcely touched it. You're absolutely right. And uh, I don't suppose, Dan, you will be enormously surprised by that. Uh, it's, it, no, it, it hasn't changed very much. I, I just say one more thing, on, and this is a, this is a plug, really. Uh, you know, uh, there's been a huge growth in independent councils over the last uh, 15 to 20 years, particularly in my neck of the woods up here in Durham, uh, where we've got loads of them and, and in Teesside. Uh, and uh, uh, there's an awful lot of very complacent Labour authorities and pretty complacent Conservative authorities. And uh, you do wish that there was uh, that we could get rid of first-past-the-post for our council elections, have a bit of PR, uh, and... Uh, uh, a, a shout out too to uh, Wayne Dixon, who is trying to break the mould in Leeds, standing for the Social Democrats, and a great bloke. But uh, the weight is against all these independents and all these minor parties, uh, and uh, it, it'll be a straight fight between Labour and the Conservatives. I notice that the Greens have slipped massively in the polls because you know they're not going to win councils, so people are voting Labour or Tory, and it makes it a bit it makes it a bit monolithic. Well, do you know what, Rod? I, I don't know if this surprises you or not, but I am with you on the proportional representation thing. I, I, I think first past the post uh, isn't working for this country, actually. And, and I actually think it across all elections. But you're right, especially yeah. council elections, because it's virtually impossible for these councils to, to ever change leadership. And what that means is so many people just won't vote tomorrow, Rod, because it's it's pointless. I mean, it's completely pointless for me to vote where I am at Tower Hamlets because it's going to be a Labour council. Of course it's going to be a Labour council, and it always will be a Labour council. And at least yeah, if you it was might get PR... Lutfah Rahman back. <laughs> you might get Lutfah Rahman back in Tower Hamlets, I understand. He's standing again, isn't he? Yeah. Lucky old oh, yeah. you. I'd oh, get the yeah. hell out if I were you, mate, but that, that's a that's another issue. And, no, I agree with you, and I agree with you about parliamentary elections, because if you remember, uh, at the time of Brexit, 85% uh, of members of the House of Commons were in favour of Remain. You know, it just does not remotely reflect the aspirations or the 
or, or the priorities of our public. It underplays those who would want to vote for the Greens, and I've done that before in my life, and it certainly underplays those who are social conservatives, also like me, who would vote for the Social Democrats. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, PR is the way to go. Yeah, it is, because then also, of course, what you would see is 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 that the Tories would also have to be pulled to the right on many issues yeah. because uh, the, the former Brexit party reform, there'd be lots more reason to vote for them. So I, I think we are heading in that direction, at least the need for it, but whether it actually happens or not, Rod, because, you know, Labour and the Tories are never going to allow it, are they? Do you know, do you, do you know what, Rod, though? You've just followed in the footsteps of Amanda Platel uh, because you have yeah. mentioned the name of a candidate. Do you know what I have to do now, Rod? So I'm blaming you and Hi. Amanda. I now have to read because yeah, I've, I've got to read all the names. So this is Rod's fault. We've got running <laughs> in that electorate. <laughs> Taiwo Funmailo Adeyemi of the Conservative Unionist Party. Kaylee Asquith of the Green Party. Wayne Dixon, who Rod already gave that plug to. Thank you, Rod. Jude Arbuckle of the Liberal Democrats. And Pete Chambers of the Labour Party. That's the Middleton Park Ward. Thank you for that, Rod. So sorry. So sorry, Dan. <laughs> so sorry, mate. But, but you, I thought you read it out beautifully. And, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. You and Amanda Patel, both in the dog box today. But I do like it because it's showing to everyone, Rod, that I do take these ridiculous, nonsensical Ofcom regulations seriously. Rod Liddell, <laughs> we'll speak next week. Thank you so much. Megan Kelly time and America is teetering on the brink of a cultural civil war as the US Supreme Court looks set to controversially undo 50 years of abortion rights nationwide. Elite document confirmed to be authentic by the US Chief Justice has indicated that the nation's top court poised to overturn the 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling that legalised abortion across the entire country. Such a move would allow individual US states to ban abortion, which up to half are expected to do with legislation already on the books or planned in those under the control of the Republican Party. Abortion has historically been one of the most deeply divisive issues in America, and within mere minutes of the league appearing on the Politico website on Monday evening, barricades were erected all around the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C., in readiness for protesters on both sides. And in a stark reminder of just how dangerously split the nation is, a new Politico morning consult poll shows 50% of Americans are against overturning Roe versus Wade, while 28% feel it should be overturned and 22% remain undecided. So, Megan, while you're something of an expert on this, having previously covered uh, the Supreme Court for many years, so lots to unpick here, but I wanted to start with what the ramifications of this leak are, because that's unprecedented, right? I, it's hard to explain in terms that might translate across the pond how egregious this leak was. It literally is unprecedented. In 235 years, we've never seen a leak like this out of the U.S. Supreme Court. A leak of the actual decision, the draft decision that they were about to issue, at least within a month's time, or so we believe. It's dated February. The reporting is that as of May, uh, the the vote hasn't changed. And so while they may still be tinkering with the decision, it, it looks like it's pretty darn close to final. So we've seen, for example, right before the original Roe versus Wade decision was announced, somebody leaked the fact that it was going to go this particular way, you know, 50 years ago. We've never seen anything like this. It, it's... I, 
it's an assault on the sanctity of the U.S. Supreme Court. That building is not like Congress. In order to work there as a law clerk, and most people suspect it was a law clerk, that each justice gets three or four of them. Um, these are very d- distinguished law school graduates who have decided to go a certain path before they enter practice, but they're the best and the brightest. But in order to get that job, you have to be a lawyer. So you have to take a, an oath of ethics that is unlike what you have to take to work virtually anyplace else. And then once you get into the U.S. Supreme Court, you get a prompt lecture from the chief justice of the United States. He's not chief justice of the Supreme Court. He's chief justice of the United States. He represents something that we hold very near and dear to us, law and order and the true administration of justice. And you are told that you will be fired and could be disbarred if you leak anything out of the U.S. Supreme Court, never mind an actual opinion from the most divisive issue we've seen go up to the high court in decades. This is the highest breach of ethics one could imagine. This person will be found. And if it is a young law clerk or a lawyer, they should absolutely be disbarred. Megan, do you buy into the theory that whoever leaked this was trying to pile on pressure so that one of the justices potentially changed their mind. So as in, this was a pro-abortion rights leak. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But if I had to put money on it, that's where I'd put my money. Because even though it could have been a conservative, let's say one or two of the justices is wobbling. who's in the five majority, five person majority. And all you need is five. There's only nine justices. If one is wobbling and this decision might go the other way, I could see the theory that a conservative leaked it to put pressure on that conservative not to leave the herd right? That, that there would be a public beating uh, rhetorical if they left the herd. But what makes much more sense is uh, that it's a liberal, that's, it's, a, it's a law clerk working for the, one of the more liberal justices who is hoping that public pressure will result in one of those five justices losing his knees, right? Getting weak knees and jumping over because they had the decisions. It's, it was dated as of February. So if they've had it all this time, and I don't know that they did, but it's dated February. So why would they be circulating a February opinion in May? Um, so this person probably had it for a long time. And I, my assumption is that they didn't see the court changing. It were probably a month before publication of the actual decision. They, the big ones always come out in June before the court winds up uh, its term. And uh, nothing was changing. And my guess without knowing is that it was a liberal law clerk. And there are many who are hardcore pro-choice advocates on the Democratic side, on the Supreme Court, on the liberal side, uh, trying to get public sentiment ginned up to scare the justice out of doing the thing that he or she finds to be the right move. And that could be criminal, Dan. I mean, I've been interviewing lawyers and the former attorney general yesterday on my show saying it's literally obstruction of justice. They're trying to stop justice from being administered at the highest levels in our country by intimidating the sitting justices. And let me tell you something else. It's not just about somebody's private political views, right? Because this person obviously thought the way they wanted it to come out was more important, right? It has the smell of a 20-year-old activist all over it. But it's not just that. That person endangered the lives of these justices. There's only nine of them. We hold them near and dear. There's some we argue with. There's some we don't like more than others and so on because of their political views, the way they interpret the law. But we revere them as an institution for the most part. They're still revered in a way Congress hasn't been in a long, long time, never mind the executive branch. And they endangered 
these nine people, many of whom are octogenarians and would have been planning for enhanced security when the actual decision came out, but probably not two nights ago when at 9 p.m. Eastern time, this thing dropped in, in Politico without any warning. Mm. And Megan, just talk to me about how abortion divides America and whether you buy into this theory that we are potentially going to see uh, a culture civil war as a result of this decision, if it does indeed come to pass. I'm about as old as Roe. <laughs> okay, so I grew up with this decision having been on the books and I've seen, I've, so I've lived through my 20s, you know, when I think abortion is probably more on young women's minds than somebody who's now 51 with three kids and married, right? But so I've been through the, a long sort of relationship with this decision and of course I'm a lawyer and so on. I, I don't think this is going to have the cultural impact it would have had anywhere near the cultural impact 20, 30 years ago, because birth control is a lot more available and easy. You can you can get a shot and not do anything for three months. You can get something implanted, not do anything for a few months. Um, the day after pill is available where it wasn't before, right? And that's, I realize, controversial, but not as much as a surgical abortion at your 15th or 16th week of pregnancy. So I do think it's going to be controversial. We've already seen that, but not as much as it would have been 20, 30 years ago. Having said that too, Dan, the poll you read at the top of the segment, about 50% of the country doesn't want to see Roe reversed. Take that with a grain of salt, because the vast majority of people here they live their lives. They're not paying attention to U.S. Supreme Court precedent that closely. They think if Roe gets reversed, it means abortion's going to be illegal in 50 states. That's not true. That's a lie that the left is pushing. Uh, it just means it's not considered a constitutional right that cannot be abridged in any state. So now we're going to go back to, if this is indeed the ruling, federalism where the federal government's supposed to be small and only control a few things, and the states are supposed to run themselves. And what you do if you're living in a state that doesn't align with your values is you vote with your feet and you move on out and go to a state that's better aligned. That's why we have blue states and red states and purple states, and people get to select which one aligns with their values and which of their values is most important, right? And we That's saw over COVID, happen. didn't we? Lots of people packing up, Same leaving thing. California, heading to Texas, heading to uh, Florida. And I guess now it will happen again, but it is going to be fascinating to watch, Megan. Uh, we'll call on your expertise as this story unfolds. That was Megan Kelly, the star US journalist, host of the Megan Kelly Show, which you can find on Sirius XFM. YouTube and as a podcast. Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News.